All right, we are back. Let's talk about uh, Central America, specifically Costa Rica. I talked in this show, I don't know, six months ago about possibly going down there to check out the situation in Nicaragua. A bunch of evil Chinese developers in coalition with evil and corrupt Nicaraguan politicians would like to put a second canal through the Central American Isthmus. It would be routed right through Lake Nicaragua and would just destroy that uh, beautiful setting of Ometepe Island and some other regions around it. My surf instructor just uh, <laughs> said he really hoped that didn't happen. It'd be very bad for Costa Rica. I'm sure he's right about that, and I hope that maybe come next December uh, I will have a chance to go down there and get a closer look. But... Um, Looking around in Costa Rica at things that are taking place in the past regarding foreign intervention, it really struck me that there are areas set aside as nature reserves, quite a few of them. But to driving up and down the coast on the southern part of the country, it really struck me of how much of the land had been cleared. To be just to say almost all of it. What I'm sure would have been 90% tropical rainforest a century ago, is these days cleared land. My understanding from uh, the Rich Cohen book is that Costa Rica was planted in bananas by United Fruit and others. But uh, when a fungal disease attacked what had been the banana <laughs> from the 1800s up till 1965, the Michelle Gross or Big Mike, in many cases they did not continue to plant bananas but converted over to palm trees for palm oil. There's a hell of a lot of palm oil plantations along the coast in Costa Rica, and, you know, I just wish that they could take it, you know, one step further, set aside some of that land, and just let the forest grow back. That's how we're going to do a lot of carbon fixation around the world, if we can make that happen. Costa Rica's led the way before. Perhaps they can do that again. Of course, then how do you run an economy? You have to have money. You have to have jobs. It's a very cool thing that so many people want to go to Costa Rica now to enjoy uh, its natural beauty that, you know, the tourist industry has taken the place of logging, farming, etc. in some instances. This is a very good thing. And another reason why we encourage you, dear listener, to go to places like this and, you know, help the local economy by spending your dollars. But uh, this book about the Banana King really did have some insights into what we're doing here in California, believe it or not. If you look back in history, by the time of the Civil War, perhaps one American in 10,000 had ever seen a banana. There's no place in the continental United States you can grow them. Now, they were a hit from the start once they got here. You know, they taste good. They come pre-wrapped in their own sterile package. Of course, I do want to note, by the way, as an aside, that the bananas we've all eaten in this country since about 1965 are the Cavendish. By all accounts, they aren't as tasty as the Big Mike's, but their peels are less slippery. Apparently before 1965, it was a lot easier to do one of those movie pratfalls on a banana peel. But as I say, the banana was a hit from day one, but originally it was marketed as a, you know, a food for the rich because they were so expensive. Decisions were made by banana importers to bring in so many and make the companies so big that the huge numbers of fruit arriving in the United States would make it a fruit for the masses. When we talk about food pricing here in the United States, similar decisions have been made. Food is cheap. 
One of the arguments always offered against organic methods or things that don't use so many chemicals, etc., is that it'll make the food cost more. And indeed, it will. But food is so cheap in America that we could certainly absorb the costs of having food with fewer chemicals in it and antibiotics, etc. Michael Pollan noted in his book about uh, four different types of foods, the potato is sprayed so many times with herbicides, insecticides, etc., that um, they're all that's growing out in the fields. Farmers in Idaho sometimes won't let their kids go out in the fields to play because there's just so many chemicals out there. We're going to keep letting agribusiness grow our food for us and use the methods they're currently using. Well, they're going to need to use all these chemicals to keep the food cheap. Well, it's, it's time that we, we reconsidered this or else face modern versions of what happened in Central America when the big mics first started becoming susceptible to the fungus. They discovered that a mixture of lime and copper sulfate, also known as malachite green, makes a great algicide, by the way, for your tropical fish tank if you don't use too much. If you do use too much, it's going to kill everything in the tank. And what has to be considered a prototype of modern agribusiness techniques, once they discovered that um, copper sulfate and lime could keep the bananas alive if you sprayed the entire fields green. Well, of course, that's what they did, even though the long-term effect on, of this poison on the humans out in the field was to cause them to lose their sense of smell. We'll have more to say about stuff like this in next week's program as regards DDT. But let's, anyway, let's talk about fun stuff. Costa Rica, we got about six minutes left. It's a great country to take surf lessons in. Yours truly did a bit of that, and uh, I have to say it's even better than Hawaii. The national model of Costa Rica is La Pura Vida, the pure life. It's a good thing to aspire to. But if I can editorialize for a moment, and who's going to stop me, I would ask you, dear listener, I would beg you that if you do go to Costa Rica, please obey the rules and don't feed the monkeys. These delightfully cute capuchin monkeys in the Manuel Antonio Park unfortunately get fed pretty much every day by knucklehead tourists, which causes them to get very aggressive. In fact, if you leave your bag unguarded for a moment, they will paw through it looking for stuff to eat. And of course, not only is a diet of Cheetos not good for monkeys, they could also pick up some of your various diseases that you might have. So don't do it. On the other hand, do learn a bit of Spanish. People appreciate it when you try. And damn it, if you live in California, you need to know some Spanish anyway. And we advise you to learn more than Yo Quiero Taco Bell. Although I sorely wish I was more fluent in the language than I am. I am gratified to realize that I can go into a beauty salon to have a most enjoyable cultural interaction while I got a haircut. Now it turns out, here uh, at home, I got a bad haircut about a month ago. My haircut is pretty good, but you know, like everybody else, she had an off day. A couple weeks later, I, I went to someone else to have them do a repair job, which was partially successful. But unfortunately, because I'm of that age where the hair is thinning a bit on the top, I am now susceptible to that bushy around the sides look. But um, as I say, it was gratifying to walk into a hair salon after I said, I've got to do something about this, this hair. Walked in on a woman and said, I'm wondering if you can help me. And she looked at me inquiring, like, like, yes. I said, I'm lacking too much hair here, pointing at the top of my head. Is it? And I have too much around the sides here. I'm wondering if you could take some from the sides and put it up on the top. She didn't know what to say at first. 
But then realizing that I was joking, got right into the spirit of things. I pointed out that, yes, my hair now makes me look like a clown. And to her credit, she pretty much declowned me. So it looked a hell of a lot better when she was done. I also had some great interactions with fellow Americans. And by and large, Americans who travel are the good Americans. Got to chatting up a, a lawyer and, uh, and doctor, as it turned out, from Houston. An engaging woman was, uh, was the wife of one and the sister of another. And I really enjoyed talking with them. Plugging Radio Parallax, I did suggest to the lawyer that he needed to check out our Perry Schreiner court-appointed lawyer session. And to the doctor, who was a urologist, I strongly recommended he checked out our interview we did with Pope Brock about his book on Goat Gland Brinkley, one of America's epic charlatans. The great people you meet when you're traveling is just it's one of the great pleasures of doing it. In fact, we'd met them earlier on the beach, and they recommended one hotel that had a spectacular view of the area. We went to check it out later, and they were right. It was spectacular. In fact, it was so spectacular, they came back to go look at it again. And uh, that's where we continued our conversation. So for God's sake, dear listener, don't think about traveling. Go do it. Drop us a line at Info at Radio Parallax and tell us what a great time you had. Although we had some interesting emails I wanted to comment on, I think I'm going to close today's show with an actual news item from Costa Rica, from the Science Department. Noted The Economist magazine, June 27th issue. A hollow tree, you might reasonably suspect, is a dying tree, but often that is not the case in the tropics. Lots of trees in tropical forests remain alive long after their cores have rotted away, a tribute perhaps to their resilience. However, hollow trees are so common that a thoughtful ecologist might wonder if there's more to it than mere cussedness. Perhaps hollowness could be an arboreal advantage. Well, some researchers from the Leibniz Institute for Zoo and Wildlife Research in Berlin took a look at hollow trees and noted some interlocking facts. First, the soils of tropical forests are nearly bereft of vital nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus. Second, hollow trees are favored roosting places for bats. Third, Bat excrement is rich in precisely those nutrients that are scarce in the soil. Putting those facts together, researchers theorized that being hollow might be an advantage. So they went down to Costa Rica, set up shop in La Selva, a biological reserve in the country's north, and checked out the soil. It turned out based on how animals, in this case bats, metabolize nitrogen, you get more of one isotope than what you find in the atmosphere. This allows you to tell whether the nitrogen in the soil was, quote, fertilized, unquote. And they were pretty much able to confirm that more bats means better soil. So it may even be that a tree gains an advantage by rotting out in the center and being hollow. Interesting stuff. Unfortunately, that does it for today's program, which was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to our old pal, Will Durst. We're going to do our level best to bring you Rich Cone on next week's program to talk about the fish that ate the whale. And I want to close by noting with profound embarrassment that the Simon Winchester book, A Crack on the Edge of the World, educated me about the contributions that UC Davis's professor of geology, Eldridge Moores, has made to our understanding of plate tectonics. Dr. Moores has now joined our short list of people we'd like to talk to about their work. I am truly embarrassed that he was doing great stuff here when I was a student and he somehow didn't get on my radar. The fault is mine. 
you don't have a passport, by all means, go get one and travel. Damn it. Damn it.